to another episode of On the Edge with Eddie, Detangling Black Identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty. Like always, I am excited for you to be joining our journey to explore all the different shades of Blackness, have real conversations and discussions. Again, as always, our conversations, stories, and discussions are not meant to degrade, discourage, or prove a point. Exploring Black identities is about learning, empowering, giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at the same time, be a voice for people who don't really feel comfortable speaking out. Hashtag, not all Black people are the same. I am so, 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 so honored to be in the presence of such a wonderful Black woman, all the way from Kingston, Jamaica, I am with Anika Morrison. Okay, y'all, let me tell you a little thing about Anika. Anika is one of the sweetest people you've ever met. But if you see her for the first time, you'd be like, why is this girl looking so mean? Okay, but she is honestly one of the sweetest, nicest people um that i've ever met that i've ever talked to she is so real again she's so authentic a little bit about anika though um anika attended central florida university for undergrad um she is now an athletic trainer um she did athletic training in a, a football program back in 2007 um, as a student um and then worked with uh, men's and women's tennis baseball um, and, you know, she is part of the National Athletic, uh, National Athletic Trainers Association, um, the Athletic Trainers Association of Florida and Southeastern Athletic Trainers Association. I mean, she is certified by the Red Cross. Anika knows what she's doing. If you ever get hurt at all, Anika Morrison is your lady to go to. Anika, welcome to the Welcome to On the Edge with Eddie. What is going on? What the guan? What the guan? <laughs> Thanks How for having doing? me, Eddie. <laughs> I'm doing fine. You're Little doing nervous, good. but I'm 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 gonna make it through. <laughs> it's okay. Being nervous is good, right? I mean, again, you know, the whole reason why we do On the Edge with Eddie is, you know, just you know, have conversations, nothing too serious. Um, you know, talk about your life. You know, I know you're one of those people that you're very private. You know, I, I understand that. Um, you don't like talking about yourself, uh, which is perfectly fine. But I think you have a, a really powerful, um, inspiring story that I think people need to hear, and you know that might actually encourage a lot of people, right? So let's begin with Jamaica, right? Kingston, Jamaica, how did you end up in the United States? Tell me all about that transition. How did you end up in the United States from Kingston, Jamaica? So I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. Both my parents are Jamaican. Um, my mom came over here. She originally moved to New York in I, 85, maybe? Not really even sure. Um, but didn't like it there because it was too cold. Went down to Florida. I came over in 88. I was here for maybe a year. And then I went to England for a little while, came back to Florida. 
And then I've been living in the state of Florida. I was living in the state of Florida up until I went to grad school at Northern Iowa. So that's. So why in God's name did you go from Florida to Northern Iowa to go to school? Like why? Just out of curiosity. I honestly, the person that I followed there um, was a grad assistant at University of Central Florida when I was an undergrad. And I knew that if I worked with him for the two years, I would get great experience and I'd be a better athletic trainer for it. So I wanted to do anything I could do for myself to make sure that when I was on my own in profession, I had all the tools I needed to provide for my athletes. And I knew working with him, that was going to be the best for me. Well, very nice. Very cool. Um, And you had mentioned you spent some time in Europe, Mm -hmm. right? What was it like going from Jamaica to United States to Europe, right? And then coming back. So let's talk about the time spent in Europe. Um, As a child growing up in, you know, in Jamaica, you're in Europe, right? Which is, again, different atmosphere from the United States. What was the experience like in Europe for you? Honestly, I was so young. I don't, totally remember it but it was fine because um my mom and I are the only ones that are in the United States from like our family so I had my aunts uncles um cousins my grandmother who I was living with all over there so it was a fun experience for me when I was over there I got to like hang out with my cousins um during that time and was closer to them unfortunately when I moved back it's such a big like it's such it's hard to be, it was hard to be as close to them because mm. we're all on different schedules. So we did go back occasionally, but it was just wasn't the same as when I was younger. Yeah. So you're back in the United States, Northern Iowa. Um, mm-hmm. You went to undergrad there and you've been in Iowa, you know, ever since. Um, let's go back and talk about a little bit of a cultural shock because again, for me, moving from Ghana, coming to the United States where it's all like white people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in Ghana, again, I was in, I was the majority, right? You don't really see a lot of, you know, white people around um, and you see white people, you're like, oh my God, I see white people, right? Um, and you, I, I, I'm sure it's the same experience for you um, growing up in Jamaica, or maybe it's not. Um, and then you moved to the United States. What was the biggest culture shock when you moved to the United States? Um, for you when, when you're trying to adjust to this culture? I think it was, it wasn't bad for me because I was so young. I didn't know any better. Okay. Um, also like where I grew up in Florida, Florida is like a wish wash of everybody. So right. there's like most of my mom's friends are Jamaicans and live in the area or close to us. So like any Jamaican food or anything we wanted, we could easily get. So it wasn't as like, shocking as moving to Iowa for me to be honest with you I think moving to Iowa at an older age was more of a like culture shock in every aspect to me than like growing up in Florida versus like growing up growing up in Florida and moving there from Jamaica yeah so let's talk a little bit about your time at Iowa or Mm -hmm. uh okay so you moved to Iowa um and first of all was Iowa what you were expecting it to be right when you first moved here or what was different what what was your perception of Iowa before and after you got here I'm gonna be honest I had no real idea of what it was going to be like moving here Mm -hmm. um I went on my interview for my position 
and came from sunny central Florida to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and it was negative two degrees outside. And oh, honestly, I've never seen snow because when I was in England, it didn't snow at that time. Right. So that was like, wow. And I never experienced anything that cold. And even though I came up here, I was like, you know what? You know, it's only two years. I can handle it. Yeah. So I got the position, went to grad school. And my first year in grad school, there were two days. It was negative 40 degrees outside. I literally called my mother and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave all my stuff here and I'm coming home. I cannot do this. (laughs) (laughs) But I ended up, she talked, she said, Anika, you have to like do it. Like you can't just give up that easily. So I ended up staying and completing my two years there and I'm still in Iowa today. So there's something about this place, I guess. (laughs) You're right. There is something about this place. Um, it, It traps you. Um, mm-hmm. But I think after a while, though, what, what I have found out about Iowa is um, you find sort of your network and your, your niche, um, and it, it makes you feel comfortable um, after a while, right? And I don't know yeah. if it's just the, the welcoming atmosphere or maybe it's sort of the, the culture around Iowa City with the jazz music and, you know, the, all of the different, you know, types of activities that they have. But you know, Iowa, Iowa traps you, and you get, you just get into the mood of, oh well, you know, this place is not that bad, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then you keep telling yourself, well, this place is not that bad, you know. Even if you want to leave, you, you think about, oh, where else should I go? That's sort of like Iowa, right? Because you can hide from people, and at the same time, you can, <laughs> you know, sort of be in public space and be around people if you choose to. So the options mm-hmm. are there. Right. So that's yeah. probably why. <laughs> and I think I have it good, too, because like the staff I work with, we all get along. We all look out for each other. We all help each other out. And you can't find that everywhere you go. So right. it's like if the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So I think that has kept me here for so long, too, yeah. because I'm like, eh, I don't want to go anywhere else. Start. Well, for now, we don't want to go anywhere else and like have a experience that makes me not happy right you know yeah so so i am going to uh switch gears a little bit and sort of poke you um Mm -hmm. and you know get a little deep within your story uh because again like myself um you know coming to the united states from a different country it was you know you hear a lot of things people you know call you different names or you know tell you different things and after a while you get into that mindset of, oh my God, is that who I, I really am? Or am I an imposter, right? Um, you know, and so there's this whole, you know, thing of the imposter, um, imposter syndrome that, you know, I ask myself at times, okay, am I, do I really belong here, right? Um, and so one of the things that, you know, we're talking about was you had mentioned, um, for example, people say you sound like a white girl. Okay. I hate um, that so much. <laughs> oh my me, gosh, I hate that. Tell me why will anybody say you sound like a white girl? Um, and what that how that has affected you as a person or even as a black woman growing up and even now that you're you know a professional in, in the space where it's predominantly white people. I 
I used to hear that all through middle school, probably even elementary school. And it got to the point where one of my mom, not my, my mom's friend's husband was saying it to me. And I'm just like, I don't understand what that means. I speaking English mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's because I didn't have an accent with it because when I went to, um, when I, obviously when I was um, in Jamaica, I had the Patois accent really thick. Then I went to England and I got that accent. And like, as a kid, you just adapt to whatever accent, like you just adapt to the areas you're in. So you pick up those accents. And when I came back over here, I kind of lost all those accents, but my, I was still like speaking proper English, I guess. Right. And that's not what you're supposed to do when you're black, I guess. But I'm sorry, my mom, there's no way I could be in my household and speak at the time Ebonics. Proper English, right. Yes. Yeah. There's no way. Like, that was not something that my mom would accept. So me talking like a white girl was speaking proper English. And I would hear it every day. And there was like just certain people. And at the point, I'm like, you know what? If I talk like a white girl, that's fine. I will have a job and have a good career and you will still be whoever you are. Right. To me, I think it just haunted me so much. Like till this day, I just hate the sound of my voice. So doing this is even hard for me because I'm just like, uh, my voice is annoying. And it's just like little things that have built up over time, like make me feel that way about myself. And it's like, it shouldn't be that way because if you talk proper English, you talk proper English no matter what color you are. Right. Like it shouldn't be only white people can talk proper English. Everybody right. should be able to talk. Everybody, it's English. Right. So that's that's funny. It's, first of all, I don't really understand how the phrase you talk like a white girl, what that actually even means, right? Because I don't understand it either. To be fair, I I I have um <laughs> I have hanged out with some white girls that they sound so ghetto that I'm like, well, first of all, I, I where are you from, right? <laughs> you know, and there are times that I talk to people on the phone and I swear they're not like Caucasians, right? Um, so I don't, I never understood why the, the phrase you talk like a white person um, sort of like, make people think that, yeah, just because you speak proper English, um, they have to call you white, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's some really educated Black folks like yes. yourself um, that speak proper English. Again, depending on how you grew up, um, in, you know, from your home, you know, my parents are educators. And if I don't say something right my mom will correct me and say you don't say it like that <laughs> my mom still does that till, till this day <laughs> right yep. you know so again you know that's how you know again some of us grew up and the the notion that you speak proper english or your english is very um sort of clear like I don't understand why it means that, you know, just because you're black, you don't have the capacity to speak good English, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and that that has bugged me for the longest time. Let's talk a little bit about growing up um, with your mom. Um, and you say your mom raised you by herself. Okay. And, you know, coming from Jamaica, I'm sure just like Ghana, she, she had a strong hand, right? She was like, Anika, you can't do this. Anika, you have to do this. How does growing up um, with your mom, um, and I think you're the only child too, right? 
how I'm your only child yeah your, yes so your mom's only child um how does growing up in a household like that shape you um for who you are today um I knew how hard she worked and what she did to provide for me. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I didn't want to disappoint her and I wanted to like make the best of myself. Cause she, she worked two jobs if she had to like to provide for me. So I knew that it was important for me to get an education and um, go to college and eventually be successful to like thank her for everything she did. And it was also a driving force for me to do that too, because I came from a single family. I think like I was raised by my mom. There's been a lot of stereotypes that like, I'm gonna be more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to um, have kids at a young age and all that things. So I wanted to make sure that I did what I had to do to prove those stereotypes wrong because just because my mother raised me by myself doesn't mean that I can't be successful in life. You know, I, I wonder if, you know, those stereotypes are also the same for, um, you know, like for, for, for white, for like white people, right. Or Caucasians. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, for blacks, it's like, just because you came from a single fan or a single parent family, you are destined to be a failure. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, again, if anybody's listening, if, if you're from a white family and you were raised by a single mother or a single father and, you know, people will tell you you're going to be a failure because of that, I would love to hear the story because, you know, I hear that more with um, blacks than with whites. And again, you know, that's one of the stereotypes that I don't understand, you know, just because your mother is raising you and working so hard for you to be successful, um, for some reason, people think you're going to be a failure. So mm-hmm. let, let me ask you this, though. Have you at any point in your life felt that you have failed your mom or you were a failure because of what people were saying? think so, because my mom is always, like, very supportive of everything. So she, she was just, like, a strong influence in my life that I don't think I ever, like, she always, like, supported me and she never made me feel like I failed. Um, so I don't think so. That's great. That's absolutely yeah. wonderful. Um, so let's let's talk about the struggles, the struggles of um, a black woman and a black woman from Jamaica, right? Um, as a black woman professional in the space, in the athletic trainer space, um, I, again, I don't see a lot of athletic trainers who are um, who are black, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, you're the only one I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's right? some out there. <laughs> right? You're the only athletic trainer that I know that's black. Um, we have some more out there. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm sure, but I haven't seen any. Um, <laughs> what are some challenges that come with your job? Um, being an athletic trainer, um, again, you know, people's injuries and all the uh, student athletes, they depend on you for sort of advice and guidance, what are some of the challenges you think comes with your role for being a Black in this space? I think it's a mixture of being a Black and being female. And also, I'm not trying to say anything, but I sometimes look younger than I am. So I think people think they can walk all over me. 
However, that's not how it works. (laughs) Um, So I think I've just had challenges in the past where I had to like put my foot down and say, no, this is what's going on. And like had to make sure people understood that like, I'm going to stand my ground on these things and I'm not going to let anybody walk over me just because I'm a black female. I have a voice and I'm going to use it and I'm going to make sure everybody understands where I'm coming from and my opinion on the matter. I will not cower to anybody because I'm a female. Right. Poor fuck. Yep, absolutely. That's another thing that I was taught from a very young age, nobody's better than me and I'm not better than anybody else. So don't let anybody treat me like they are better than me. Amen. So that's something that's always been in the back of my head whenever I'm in a situation with anybody. Yep. That is absolutely beautiful. So when I first met you, like mm-hmm. I said, you have those like resting like <laughs> you can say it eddie right you can say it yes we all know it i, I mean, know it <laughs> you see i mean you see your face and you know like i was like dang that girl mean right mm-hmm. um where does that resting beach face come from like <laughs> i mean again it's not you're trying to be rude it's just like no. that's who you are right yeah um, and people see that and sort of look at it as your standoffish yeah I've heard that a lot too. (laughs) I think it's just like a protective mechanism, probably. If I'm going to be honest, like I'm going to protect myself. And like, if you want to get to know me, you'll try to. I'm like, I'm never going to like walk away from anybody or ignore anybody. I'm just like, it's my way of protecting myself in a way, I guess. Protecting from what? Life. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I... I'm very hard to get to know. Like very hard. I don't like talk about myself or talk about my business. So it's just like if people want to get to know me, they're gonna like try and like break down that wall of resting bitch face to get to know me. Um I guess like we've all been through things in life that you just like you're wary of everybody and people around you. So you kind of protect yourself and like those that want to take the time to get to know you will go past that and try and get to know you. Yeah. Um, we had a conversation some time ago and mm-hmm. it was surrounding the sort of the, the topic of black love, right. Or even mm-hmm. like the topic of love. And you had mentioned that staying in Iowa, um, you were sort of giving up the difference of potentially finding um someone to be with and your profession right Mm -hmm. um why do you think that is honestly when i originally moved here i never thought i was going to be here this long um it was more of like a way to build my career because i couldn't you can't pass up a big 10 job right out of grad school there's no way you can do that true true so i was like you know what i'll be there for a little (laughs) i'll be there for a little bit it's not like and i wanted to like focus on work and like make the best of it and I just don't think I'm gonna find the love of my life here I don't think he's here so it's not something I'm focused on right now but it's also well that's wasn't something I was focused on at the time so it was okay for me to come here and just work and like grind my way through and like figure out who I was as a professional and when I was ready like move somewhere that would potentially have somebody that would, I would move somewhere that 
potentially have somebody that's more, I don't know. Suitable for you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And also, like, if I'm going to be honest, Iowans tend to want to stay in Iowa. And I don't know oh, if I want do. to be in Iowa for the rest they of my do. life. Mm -hmm. It is too cold here. <laughs> and every winter it gets worse. So, <laughs> and it's, it, it just wouldn't be fair, you know? Okay. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I was, I was tend to stay, want to stay in Iowa. Um, yeah. yeah, and like, I've been living in Iowa, well, in and out of Iowa since 1993. Really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you are brave. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I keep saying. You know, it, it, it traps you, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like, I left Iowa, moved back to Ghana, came back, um, you know, spent some time with my auntie in New Jersey, but mm -hmm. I keep coming back to Iowa. Um, because you get trapped, right? And yeah. what I found out is, you know, when you get trapped in Iowa, it's hard for you to leave, right? Um, unless you get to the point that you're like, you know what, I, I don't know if I can take this anymore. Um, and honestly, I think for me, I am getting to that point, right? Because um, <laughs> I'm getting to the point that, you know, it's Iowa really the place for me to stay. This is the place for me to stay and raise my children and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if Iowa is the place anymore, right? Because again, after being here for so long and you don't see um, changes within, especially within the institution, um, it's hard to just, you know, keep grinding and keep, you know, like pushing the envelope if people just say, yes, things will change and 20 plus years, nothing has changed, right? Yeah. Um, and it's hard. So like, you're absolutely right. People don't want to leave Iowa because mm -hmm. it's status quo. And it has yeah. been status quo for a really long time, especially in the space of diversity, right? Um, you know, I was having a really great conversation with um, one of my guests and, you know, she put it in a really good way um, that, you know, sort of the institutional racism within Iowa is sort of like a cancer, right? Um, but people try to treat that with a Band-Aid by starting all this like small diversity programs instead of having... A, a longer um, sort of thought out um, dialysis or, you know, thought out chemo to fix the issue of institutional um, racism or acceptance or inclus inclusivity, inclusivity. Is that, is that a word? I, I can't even say that word. Being inclusive, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so again, like I said, like, honestly, I don't know if I was the place for me to be anymore, right? Um, and it's a conversation that I'm having of, you know, do I leave Iowa? And maybe it's time that you and I move out of Iowa and start a business somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm not brave to start a business, to be honest with you. But yeah, I like it's been more and more in my brain now, like the last, especially this year, that I have to have a work life balance and yeah. I'm getting older. I need to just like live life and enjoy it. And I, there's more things I want to do. Like I'd like to volunteer. Like I want to find my purpose in life. And right. if I'm working all the time, I'm not going to find it. So right. I kind of want to figure that out and figure out what I want to do. Yeah. Institutional um, biases or sort of uh, the whole injustice things that are happening right so again mm -hmm. the the death of um george floyd and you know the sort of um the death of all of the unarmed um blacks and stuff like that um as a jamaican how does that affect you right because so for me 
coming from Ghana, I didn't even know what racism was. Like, you know, I, and I say this all the time that, you know, there are a lot of times when I see certain things, like I tell myself, that's not my fight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even though as a black man, it affects me. And I know that, you know, all of the injustices that happen, you know, affects me and it, it, it will sort of have some consequences as a black man, right? I don't really dwell on those things. So how does the whole, you know, Black Lives Movement or even like the, again, like the judge of the death of Joy Floyd and all of those things happen, how does that affect you? Um, or how do you function in that space? So as you said, like, it, I think this year it affected me more than it has ever before because we were all stopped in the pandemic. We all had to watch it and see it happen. Right. And we live it every day because it's constantly on the news. And in the past, like we're working. So like we could see it, but like we have work going on. So it like takes you away from it a little bit. But I think honestly, May was such a hard month for me because just like looking at everything and researching it and like just seeing all the black men and even women that were killed, right. it's, disgusting mm-hmm. and I honestly had a little mental breakdown because of it because I'm like this could have been me at any time like you never know like somebody was killed in their home like sleeping right. in their bed like that yep. could have been any one of us yep. and it just hits you a little bit harder and it just makes you like honestly don't know if I can anymore but I, I would be scared to have kids because I don't know if I'd want to bring them into this world because I don't know if I can protect them and I don't know if it's fair to them. And that makes me sad. So it's just like, there's so much that just like, I, I don't, it just, I don't know. And it's like, how do you even fix it? Because it's so far gone. How do you even fix it? Is there a way to fix it? Mm -hmm. Like, is there ever going to like be a change? The one thing I can say though, because like I've, was talking to like my cousins in England one of my cousins in England about it and like I the one positive thing out of it is like because we were in a pandemic so many people saw it yep. what was going on and it opened so many eyes but the only thing now is like we're back to our busy lives again so it's just like what's going on now it's gonna like is anything really gonna change like, we're all go- yeah right. are we we it's like still going on we can't forget it but what are we doing to help it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, in a way, I want to find my cause. And I don't know if that's it, like being more involved in that way, but I want to do something that has a purpose in life. Uh, I, I, I've been bugging you a lot about, one, going to Ghana with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've also been bugging you a lot about getting more involved um, within, you know, in this space. And, you know, you always express interest in um, sort of the what is happening. You know, again, like you said, um, a lot of times, um, like I said, I in for me, it's like I tell myself, is that really my fight? Mm-hmm. Because, like you said everybody else is watching and everybody else knows what's going on. And everybody knows that, you know, innocent blacks are being killed, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone sleeping in their bed. Right. Yeah. Um, and there isn't really any real reason why these people are being killed 
except for the fact that the color of their skin, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really depressing um, for me, especially when the whole Black Lives Movement was happening, you know, that, um, you know, my first lady drew me, told me that, hey, I do not want you out of the house like after 9 p.m., right? <laughs> she put a curfew on me, <laughs> mostly because she's like, you need to be home. You need to be safe because I do not want our daughter growing up without a father, right? Mm-hmm. And that was real, right? Yeah. Again, it's a real conversation that, you know, I have to have. And it's a real conversation that a lot of my friends, you know, have to have. Um, and like you said, is there something that we can do about it? So let me ask you this. Um, within the space that you're in, is mm-hmm. there anything that you think we can do as um, black individuals to educate both blacks and whites um, to either better help them or equip them to help stop the social injustice or institutional um, unfairness? Um, or do you think it's just a lost cause? <laughs> I don't think it's a lost cause at all. I think we just have to have more open and honest conversations. And my best friend is white. And it's something that we never really talked about, but we talked about it this summer and it like her eyes were open. She has two young sons. She's like, Anika, I can't believe like I used to think this way. Like I realized that she said something that was like, wow, she realized she's like, I realized that we're just trying to like find a seat at the table for you. It's not like we're trying to like give you a handout or anything. We're just trying to like make sure everything is equal for you. And she's like, I need to teach my sons this. And I need like her and her husband are like, we need to do a better job of educating our sons on this. Because like when she was growing up, like it was different. Like that culture, like her parents, it was different for them. So they see it differently, but she saw it in a new light. And I also had another friend that we just had so many conversations about it. And we talked about like, the statues in the South and how they're like just everywhere. And she's like, what do you think about that? I'm like, honestly, as a black woman, I don't agree with it. I think that if there's a statue out there, you're saying this is okay for everything they did in the past and you're praising them. So I don't think it's something that we should be like openly putting out there. And she's like, honestly, I never thought about it that way. And I understand where you're coming from with it, you know? So I think it's just being willing to have honest conversations and both sides listening instead of both sides just like trying to talk over each other because you have to understand where they're coming from too and maybe put it in a way that they understand what you're where you're coming from right yeah i mean i think you know you're absolutely right a lot of the misunderstanding is um again not everybody but most people think when you talk about sort of like black lives matter or you know um, black people um, need to be treated fairly it's really we want handouts right no Mm -hmm. that's that's not what it is um you know when we start talking about you know the black lives matter and all of those things it's really just fair treatment right yes fair treatment in the education system or fair treatment in the housing system or the professional world, right? Um, fair treatment is just just being fair as a human being. Um, it's really what, what all we're asking for, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, just hear us out, treat us as humans with dignity and decency. That's yeah. really all it is because a lot of times we don't even get that, right? Um, even within, 
you know, the place that we work, there are individuals within um, our unit or organization that will see um, you or myself, um, a black individual, and you know, smile and be like, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" And then, as soon as they walk away, you see their body language and their expression, and they're like, "Oh, you know, they don't deserve to be here," kind of thing, right? Um, and a lot of people don't even notice that they do that with their body languages, <laughs> you know, which which is which is you know depressing, you know, and you know it goes back to like how much more you know, can an individual take, like you were saying, you know, after a while, people keep telling you that you sounded white, you sounded white, it affected your mentality, right? It affected your mm -hmm. sort of your mental space and your mental health. Um, again, as adults, how much can we take, right? Um, and I, I don't know if I honestly don't know, you know, again, that's why I started the podcast to sort of find these answers um, from other people. Um, and just talk and educate people about, you know, like being black is not hard, but being in situations that people treat you differently or treat you unfairly is what's hard about being black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And I'm just thinking of like situations that I've been through. And it's just like, they just look at you and you're like, okay, they're not good enough, you know? Cause like, I remember, so I went to a community college first because I was like, what I don't know what, to, what I want to do. And then when I finally figured out, I transferred to University of California. When I was going to orientation, I was originally scheduled to like go to summer classes, but I had, I had um, my associates. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to take the summer off and go to fall classes instead. And when I was registering without even looking at me, they're like, you're not you don't have a high enough GPA or you don't have what it takes to get into the fall classes instead. Wow. So I'm like, excuse me. Like my GPA was above 3.0. Like I was in the honors program at the community college. Like I, they didn't even look at anything. They just assumed that I didn't have the qualifications. So I had to go to another department on campus and tell them what happened. And then they called that department. Like you better look at her stuff because she has what it takes to be in the fall courses, like to be in, to register for a fall like she doesn't need to do anything in the summer and it's just situations like that it's like just because I'm a young black woman doesn't mean I don't I I didn't have the GPA or what it need what I needed to um get into a fall of uh, the fall semester instead of the summer semester right again like, institutional racism as <laughs> best um you know, and it, it's just funny hearing people argue that, oh, that doesn't exist in my institution. Uh, no, it exists every single where you mm -hmm. walk into the store, same thing. You walk into like you want to buy a car, same thing. Everywhere you walk, as long as your color is darker, people look at you and have assumptions about you, which, again, that is the unfair treatment that we're talking about. Right. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's the darker shades. The darker you get, the worse it is. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. And yeah. they have like the 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 beautiful light skinned people who have, you know, sort of sometimes best of both worlds, right? You know, they can be classified as, oh, you know, you are sort of the people that we want in our spaces, but the darker you are, it's like, uh, yeah, we don't sort of don't sort of want you kind of thing um yeah again which is that that's depressing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um i was once told that oh you're actually pretty for being so dark 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you slap the person back or? <laughs> no, I was with my mom and we just looked at each other and we're like, did she really just say that? Mm. And just left the store. Because honestly, at that point, like you have some insecurity about you. So it's not even worth my time right. dealing with you. So I just, we just left without buying anything. <laughs> <laughs> yep you know sometimes that's the best thing to do just to walk away and just smile and just mm-hmm. be like you know what no again it's just not my fight it's not worth fighting yeah. for it's not worth having a discussion about because it's not are... worth being an angry black woman for exactly the the title angry black woman yes. right yes um not that you're angry but you no. know the perceived angry black woman and that's what you're being labeled as forever um again we are just <laughs> talking about unfair treatment in sort of all different spaces. I am with Anika Morrison, Jamaica, what the guan, we're doing this. <laughs> so um, again, I am having a great time, having a great conversation. But one of the things that I always tell, um, ask my people is before you go, um, if I give you one minute to tell the world anything right send a message to the world within one minute what will that message be eddie one minute is a long time for me <laughs> well make it 30 seconds and i'm gonna give you some background music <laughs> to think about it <laughs> i would say be confident in who you are and don't let the world project anything on you i think as a child or a young adult i spent too much time caring about what others thought or what they perceived so as long as like you're happy within your own skin and you love yourself that's all that matters you heard it from Anika Morrison confidence is the most beautiful thing you can possess thank you thank you for joining us again I always love spending time with you talking to you you keep it real you are real you are authentic Anika Morrison thank you it was a pleasure we Thanks out. for having me, Eddie. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need to go to Jamaica and I need to take you to Ghana sometime. So. <laughs> All right. Food. All right. See ya. <laughs> Bye.